But we're going to go through it again. You ready? If you have to read it from your book, or if you read it off the slides up here, uh, that's great. We're going to do it every single week, because we need to know this passage. Not just hear it, but to put it inside. All right. So, let's start together. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Today we're going to dig into verse number five. We're really moving fast, aren't we? Verse number five, we're going to talk about the word predestined today. Obviously, this one, we have to start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we're going to look again into your word and see the things that you have done, the things that you've done for us, and the way you look upon us. And uh, some of these things are just quite amazing. And yet, we're still thankful that you have written it down so that we can read it today, but more than that, so that we can believe it today, and that we can live in light of what we read, and bring you honor and glory, which is what we've said several times in this quotation this morning, to the praise of your glory, to the praise of your glory. So, as we go into our passage today, as as we study it together, warm our hearts with it, encourage us, strengthen us, uh, give us what we need to be equipped to serve you better, we pray. Thank you for what you're doing right now in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Verse number 14 ends with the words, in love. Verse 15 starts, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. It is quite possible that you might not have in love in verse 14. You might have it in verse 15. That's 
Not a surprise, some translations do that. But we're going to talk about this phrase today. And sometimes I, I bring up some illustrations of my own personal life, or sometimes those of my children. And my children knew that was inevitable, and so uh, they don't get a choice in the matter when I tell stories about them. Um, now that my son is going, he's actually in Maryland today, they flew yesterday, they arrived in Maryland today, and he's at the church where they will vote next week to put him in as the assistant pastor. And then he's going to tell stories about his dad as he preaches. <laughs> and I think it's probably true. But uh, I've mentioned on several occasions before that the church I grew up in was one that taught me to fear God. And I mean fear, like afraid. We were subjected weekly to a message that somehow in this last week we blew it. That uh, God was angry, we made him angry, and so we had to start all over with our salvation. And that's what we were led to believe, and I wouldn't be surprised if you pull out the Guinness Book of Records and find out who was saved the most, you'd find my name. Because that's the way it felt as a child. Yet in the back pew of that church, as I sat there with the rest of our teens, that's where we would always sit, um, I contemplated being a pastor someday. I was figuring that job only lasted one day a week. Sounded like a pretty easy thing to do, as long as I didn't have to learn Greek or Hebrew. Uh, those were my fears, and I thought other than that, it'd be a pretty good occupation. So, I chose to attend Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, which wasn't far from where I lived. It was about 45 miles away. And I thought that was great because they didn't have tuition, so it was cheap. And that was my two reasons for going. I knew nothing else about what the school was about. Um, in that, I'm so thankful what the Lord does, <laughs> overriding our ignorance. But uh, um, I chose in my junior year to apply to the school. And I filled out all the forms, and one of the forms was to have your pastor fill out a reference form, too. And so I remember that day very, very well. I went into his living room. I was quite nervous. Um, I asked him if he would fill out, fill out a reference form for me, and I handed it to him. He scanned over it quickly and told me that Moody was a risky thing to do. Uh, he said, that school is going to be a tough one to go to. They teach things different than we do. And he also then said that they teach things like election and predestination and security of the believer. And then he looked at me and he said this, and quite literally, I remember to this day, I still see his face. If you believed any one of those things, you have to believe them all. That was meant to scare me. I found out later he was right. But he didn't know how right he was in what he had said. He wanted to warn me, like people warn you to get a vaccine because of a virus. That was his intention, is to protect me from what I was about to learn. I went to Moody. Literally, folks, I went scared to death because of what I was going to hear. I, 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 was, I probably drove my Gospel of John teacher crazy. Because I was angry the entire semester. Can you believe it? The Gospel of John? But I was mad because it was teaching about things like, uh, you know, the Lord, all who comes to him, he keeps them. 
And things like that. And I'm thinking, that can't be right. I didn't grow up thinking that way. And I was mad the whole time. But um, here's where my surprise came in. The word elect is in the Bible. The word predestined is in the Bible. I had never seen that in my life. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. These things I'm supposed to stay away from are in God's Word. And I had to learn how to understand that better. But as I learned more and more of my Savior's love for me, these words became very dear to me. The word predestined, that's our word. To some, it's not a happy sound. It's not a word that they embrace, not a word they want to hear. It sounds very constraining. It goes against their idea that uh, uh, we have a choice in the matter. There's an old Western song written in 1934 by Cole Porter called Don't Fence Me In. Anyone know it? A few of you do? Give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Roy Rogers sang it. Bing Crosby sang it. Uh, you could go through a list of all. Um, Gene Autry sang it. Let me ride through a wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Oh, it's a fun song. And if you know it, I just stuck it in your head for the rest of the service. <laughs> it's a fun song. But that tune is, is, is fun, but the idea, don't fence me in. That could be the theme song for those who don't like the doctrine of predestination. Don't fence me in. Don't fence me in. Honestly, that doctrine is normally taught in such a way that I could understand the concerns. I really can. It has been used for years, especially those pulpits that you might call uh, housed by Bible thumpers and pulpit pounders that uh, suggest that we have a God who's as firm as concrete and it didn't matter what you thought or what you did, if you were to be saved, He'd save you. Almost to the extent that if you didn't want to be saved, it didn't matter, He'd save you anyway. And it was, came off pretty tough because if He chose not to save you, guess what they also said? You never have a chance if God was against you. If God predestined you to live in hell forever, that's where you're going. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? That's a hard thing to swallow. In the 19 or the 1800s, that's where the missionary movement started up really heavy in American churches in the 1800s. There's a note for the history of the China Inland Mission. Uh, that was Hudson Taylor's mission, by the way. That uh, when he was presenting uh, the idea of going to China, to the churches in America um, and other places, that they responded this way in many occasions, that if the Lord intended to save the heathens, he could do it without our help. And he didn't get much encouragement. Thankfully, though, Hudson Taylor and thousands of others did not heed that message. And they went. Matter of fact, if you go to the history of Moody Bible Institute, all the way up to even the middle of the 1900s, it was a school that was a firm teacher of the biblical doctrine of predestination, and yet sent out more missionaries into the mission field than most places ever will. 
That was a powerful statement about their, they know God's love. And they had to share the message. Like I said, predestination is not a beautiful word to some. It's not beautiful. Especially if they think that God has planned out all the bad things in their life that they're going to experience and there's no choice in the matter. It's as if God's sitting up there setting up an arrangement and saying, okay, I'm going to make sure they have this bad thing and this bad thing and this bad thing in their life. And that's generally the way it's viewed. It's looked from that perspective. Because when you start to question people's lives and things like that, how often it is that the hard things we don't understand. Why do we get cancer? Why do we have car accidents? Why, did, why is there sudden death? Why is there this or that? Why did my marriage break up? On and on and on. And it's hard to swallow all that when you understand God controls my life. What's he doing to me? Why is he doing this? Some people turn around and think, well, he must be mad at me. I understand all that. I get that. But I want to tell you today... There is beauty in that word. Predestined. There's beauty in it. And I want to tell you why. And I'll start with the fact that it's part of your identity in Christ. That's what we're studying here. Is our identity in Christ. And this is just as much who you are as the word blessed. Or the word chosen. Or the word holy. Or blameless, that we've been looking at for the last four weeks or so. All of those terms, we, we might have struggled a bit with them, but we didn't mind wearing the title, did we? Because that's what he gave to us. That's what he described us as in Jesus Christ. Man did not design this truth. Man did not create this doctrine. God did. This is God's word. This is what God said. And when you look at it from his vantage point, from heaven down to us, you will see how wonderful it is to be able to say, I am a predestined one. Now I want to show you that this morning by first walking through, well, I like to walk through the grammar first, so let's take a look at uh, what you will see, and I think you might find it a little surprising, because you don't know how this word comes to be. Uh, pro uh, proidzo is the word. Pro orizo. There's two O's in there. Uh, the word pro goes before. And orizo has a rough breathing mark, so it's really horizo, and it's the word we get horizon from. Horizon. It comes to the idea of marking something out for a boundary. To mark something out for a boundary. That is, to appoint something, or decree something, or specify, or declare, or determine. There's all kinds of words here. Uh, some people use the word ordain, or even limit. But whatever it is, it has to be done beforehand. That's the pro. So it is a limit, if you will, in advance. A predetermined thing. A, a um, predestined is the word. Destined plus the pre in it. I like the fact that it's talking about boundaries. Boundaries. This is where most people don't like it. They say, I don't like boundaries. Some people think offense is a terrible thing. 
Isn't it interesting, and I don't know, maybe you guys could explain this to me sometime, but you could have 200 acres of land for your cattle to roam on, and they all stand next to the fence. I look at that so often, going down seaweeds, I say, what is this? They've got all this land, and they're all huddled right there along the fence. Um, I think that's kind of interesting to me. But you who have young children will understand something here. When you say, go outside and play... You open up the back door and just tell them to go anywhere they want, right? Just run anywhere you want. This whole big world is available to you. Just enjoy your day. Be back by dinner. You don't do that. I know you don't do that. When we first moved to Indiana, the church we were in in Butler, Indiana, the parsonage was 20 feet away from the church. Commute wasn't bad, but if I was late, they had a problem with that. But uh, I was right there next to the church building on one side. On the other side of the parsonage, not more than 10 feet away, was the neighbor's house. So we were kind of sandwiched in between two buildings there in the parsonage. My daughter Carrie was three years old when we moved there. And one day, we couldn't find her. We ran through the house, and you parents know this feeling. Checking every single room, looking under beds, looking in the closet, just running, yelling her name all through the house. Couldn't find her. She wasn't there. We ran outside. First, we ran to the church building, because more times than not, it was open and they were in there somewhere. So we were up and down the, the church building, had a basement, running through it, looking for Carrie. Couldn't find her. We came back out, and there was only one place left to look. And that was in the front yard. The street was there. And there was a sidewalk, and it was downtown. We were one block off the main street. And uh, so I ran around the front of the house calling her name. I got to the sidewalk. I looked down one way, several blocks down, couldn't see anything. Looked down the other way to see the clerk treasurer of the town walking my daughter back to the house. She had managed to walk her way down that one block and was about to cross the county highway. She had no idea what she was doing. But it just so happens our clerk treasurer, member of our church, had an office right on that corner and was looking out the window and could see her across the street and see that she was about to step into it. And she went and she grabbed her and she started walking her down the street. And boy, were we thankful people. How easily that could have been a disaster. So what do you think I did? I built a fence. I built a fence. I built a fence out front between the house and the parsonage. I built a fence between our house and the neighbors. I built a fence, and I didn't do it out of punishment. I did it out of what? Love. I did it out of love. I limited my daughter's horizon on purpose because she needed the protection of that. You know what? She didn't gravitate to the fence and stand and lean against it all day long trying to get on the other side. There was enough within that fence for her to enjoy herself. And that's what we provided for her as well. But I did that out of love. And all of you know how that works. One of the challenges that we have when we're reading in Ephesians chapter four or chapter 1 and getting to the end of verse number 4 is what do you do with that little two-word phrase, in love. In the uh, translation work, sometimes 
you will have a comma after the word love and implies that it goes with the words holy and blameless. Sometimes you might have a period at the end of holy and blameless and then the next phrase starts in love and then the next verse is added to it. In love he predestined us. Now, when the Greek was written, there were no punctuation marks. They didn't have punctuation marks. So, where a comma would go or where a period would go would be what your English translators thought it should be. And that has been debated in commentaries for years and years and years. Where do you put the two little words, in love? Some believe it goes with the fact that you have been made holy and blameless before him in love. And I would say that's absolutely true. But I also like the fact that it goes with this next phrase too. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons. I'll show you why that's so, so precious to me to say it this way. Everything God does is in love. Do you know that? What he does in your life is out of love. Do you question that? Do you question that he loves you? If you do, you question a cross. If you do, you question the fact that he gave his only begotten son. Because how does it start? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And my favorite verse I bring up all the time is in Romans 5.8. It says there, God demonstrating his own love toward us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you ever sit down and say, Lord, I don't know that you really love me, look again at what he did for you in giving his son. Because that's the evidence of his love. It will always be the evidence of his love. The experiences come and support that. But the fact is, God loves you. God loves you. And so I can use that with every single phrase in, in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, to be honest. I could tack it onto everything. He blessed you because he loves you. He chose you because he loves you. He made you holy because he loves you. He made you blameless because he loves you. He predestined you because... Okay, you ready? Aha, uh-huh, here we go. Love that you're looking at here is the very best of them. We talk about agape as God's kind of love. And it is a great love. It's a sacrificial love. It is a divine love. Some people call it that. But simply put, that this was not free. What God has done for you cost him a tremendous sacrifice in his son. So don't take the words that we're going to look at today lightly. Don't think that it's, oh, it's, it's optional, it's just kind of tacked on, it, it's, you know, it's just a, one of those minor issues. Not if he gave his son for it. It's not minor. And this is the kind of love it is that we're talking about. A sacrificial kind of love. He's sacrificial because his actions to save you was wrapped up in his love for you. He did love the world so much he gave his only begotten son. He loves you that much that he gave his only begotten son. I call it divine at times. I think I I explained it this way best. 
when Jesus said, my love I give to you, he took possession of it. It's his. When he talks about uh, abide in my love, he took possession of it because it's his. He said the same of his joy. It's my joy. He said of peace. It's my peace. He said of love. It's my love. In Galatians chapter 5, when we read about the product of the Holy Spirit, guess what the first item is in the fruit of the Spirit? Love. This is what the Holy Spirit does, that He produces in us this kind of love. And if you're still struggling with that, go into 1 John and see how many times it's referenced there too. This is God's love for you. And we can only love because He first loved us. So we have that traced easily. We could say, okay, this is God's kind of love. But notice in the text, very carefully, it doesn't say, in fear, he predestined me. It does not say, in punishment, he predestined us. It does not say, in captivity, he predestined us. (laughs) No, it says, in love. In love, he drew a boundary. Yes. In love, he drew a boundary around us. Specifically, as we're going to see next week, that we would be adopted as his sons. Specifically. I wish we had two hours we could work through both of these. But we'll start with this one. How great these two words to go together is beautiful. Love and adoption. Love and adoption. Love and adoption. Verse... 1 of 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. That's His love for you. It's His love for me. He loves us that much. It, it is uniquely significant in light of the fact that we're studying this designation and trying to understand what does He think of me? What is my identity in His eyes? We underscore how we first looked when he must have saw us. Ephesians 2, I keep going back to that. It's in the context. But in Ephesians 2, verse number 1, it starts with the very fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It says in verse 2, in which you formerly walked. uh, uh, Well, you walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You walked according to the Spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all too formerly walked in our lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And God could have said in the next verse, Yuck! But He didn't. The next verse says, But God be rich in mercy, and listen carefully, because of His great love for us, Even while we were dead in our sins, He made us alive together in Christ. Aren't you glad He did that? How undeserving we were that He should even look at us in any sort of merciful way. But to add the word love to that? Mercy? Yeah, okay, I feel sorry for Him. I'm going to save Him. I saved Him because I love Him. Wow. Wow. 
It says it's a great love in which he loved us. Now, this is where it gets rather interesting, because the Greek has several options for the word great. They could use the word great, like megas, that's when you buy the 24 roll of tissue paper instead of the 4 or 6. You get the mega set, right? The big ones. That's megas in the Greek. And it's really a measuring term to see how large something is. How large it is. If I wanted to measure this room, I'd use the word megas to, to get the idea of how big it is. All right? What's interesting is, that's not the word used here to describe God's love. Because if it were, that would suggest that there's a limit to his love. There's a boundary to his love. It stops someplace. Just like everything we measure has an end to it someplace. But instead, the Greek uses the word polos. Polos is, is, well, it's the idea of degree. To degree, as in abundant or plenteous. When we use so great in this, we're talking about a supply that does not end. Like It's like counting water molecules in the ocean instead of measuring the shoreline. This is a word that God has chosen to attach to his love. It is so great you cannot measure it. And this is why it gets fun. Because it's attached to a word like predestined where everyone says he closed me in. He's limited me. God's love has no limit. And that's the tool he used to predestine you. Are you starting to get a feel for something here? This is really important when you start to put this together. Try to fathom the limit of God's love. We have a song like that in the book. I love the song. If, if, I, if we were all scribes and the ocean was full of ink and we had to write out the love of God, the ocean would be dry before we got finished with it. The skies as a scroll would never contain the whole. I just love that little song. The limitations of God's love. You can't find the end of it. You can't find the edges of it. It goes on and on and on. Matter of fact, even Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesians in chapter 3, jump over to verse 15. This is his prayer. His prayer is that the Ephesians would understand how much God loves them. And as he's praying, he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow before bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, watch his request, according to the riches of his glory, he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is its breadth, and what is its length, and what is its height, and what is its, is its depth. And to know it. To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Isn't that great? That means you study it for the test, but you will never cover all the answers. God's love is that big. He says, I want you to know it. I want you to measure it. I want you to live in it and go to all the extremes you can with it and understand it's still bigger. It's still bigger. 
It surpasses your knowledge. So here's the point. He takes that word and attaches it to predestined. You see it? That is the very word that he says, in love, he predestined us. In love. In the context of a challenge to your own choosing of what you want to do, I want you to understand what God wants out of love. What God wants. He drew his boundary around you. I want you to understand how precious that is. He drew his boundary around you. He drew his boundary around us. And how far does that boundary go in his love? Go ahead and try to find the edges. That's how big it is. The word predestined, by the way, is a participle. You may say, don't talk grammar with me. A participle is used to describe someone's character by their actions. We are describing God's character by the action. He predestined us. His character is that he loves you that much. That much. That he has set these boundaries around you. Just like he blessed you. Just like he chose you. Just like he's made you holy. Just like he's made you blameless. And we don't mind those terms wearing them. But he gave with the same love, the same love, this next term. He's predestined us. He's predestined us. Like I was told, if you believe one, you've got to believe them all. I don't mind. After studying these things through, when that is the identity that my God has given to me, because he loves me, I'll wear it. I'll wear it. He loves me so much, he's put me within the boundaries of his horizon. Is there a better place you want to be? That's my big question today. Is there some place else you'd rather be than within the boundaries of his love? There are not many times in Scripture this word is used. But when it is used, folks, It is always positive. I want you to know that because people teach it like it's negative. Like it's a terrible thing. And yet, the references we have, for example, in Acts chapter 4, verse 28, they're praying. The disciples are praying. They're praying because they're persecuted because they were just told by the religious people, you can't go and preach about Jesus anymore. And they went back to the the gathering place where all the other apostles were at. And they said, here's what just happened. They arrested us. They told us we can't preach God's gospel. So are we going to choose between man or are we going to choose between God? What are we going to do? Let's pray about it. And they started to pray and they realized as they were saying that it was God's hand and God's purpose who has predestined this to occur. And if you read the context, it's right on the heels of Jesus Christ dying on a cross. Do you know that was predestined too? Aren't you glad he did it? And then when he talks in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is referencing the fact that we're going to be conformed to the image of his Son. You look in the mirror this morning, you look like Jesus yet? It's a beard thing. 
right? No, but we're, we're supposed to conform to the image of Christ. And yet, when we look at it, we say, oh boy, is that a high calling. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work. I'm not sure. But you know what? This is what it says in Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also pressed, predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. You know what that means? It's going to happen. You're not going to mess it up. Aren't you glad? That's his department. I love the fact he took care of that one. If you go further into Romans chapter 8, verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. Do you mind that? And those whom he called, he also justified. Is that okay with you? And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Does that sound great? That's also in the act of his predestining us. Do you mind? Those are great things he's done for us. And all because he has drawn that boundary around us out of his love. And it talks about the revelation of his mystery in Scripture. How the Holy Spirit reveals to us the wisdom of God. And we're learning, we're learning, we're trying to learn more. But we can speak of the wisdom of God as a mystery. A hidden wisdom which God predestined. That's 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7. Before the ages to our glory. I'm so glad he has given us his word. He planned that out too. Are you going to complain about that? I don't think you will. Twice in Ephesians, he brings up the word here in chapter 1. You've noticed that when we were reading it, maybe. But he also not only predestined us to adoption in verse 5, but in verse 11, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. Are you going to get up to heaven and say, I don't want it? I don't think so. In other words, can I say this? You're willing to take all the blessings that come from predestination, but you'd hate the word. Does that make sense? Because every time God uses it, it's to bless us, to show us his love over and over again. He said, this is how much I think of you. This is how much I think of you. I've given to you my word. I've given to you my son. I've changed you to be my sons too. I have given you an inheritance. I am going to justify you. I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to call you. All these things I'm going to do for you. That's all in the same department, folks. You can't have one and exclude the other. This is what he's done for us. I honestly, when I study this word out, I don't find the limitations here. Like some people do. I don't see limitations. I see a great degree of God's blessing and love being poured out on us. Such unworthy sinners as we are. God predestined in love. And he aimed it our way. That's amazing to me. That is stunning to me. It's not something I fear. It's not, it's not some punishment from God's hands. It, it, does, it doesn't work as some sort of captivity. Matter of fact, I'd rather him think about what I'm supposed to do than me. I think he's got a better view of it than I do. But if you want to think it this way, think it this way, that God has predestined you in the sphere of his love. That's how one Greek teacher teaches it. And I like that. He's predestined us in the sphere of his love. You seek the boundary on this, 
And you'll never find out where love ends. You never will. To know this better, we have to investigate that word adoption next week. And we're going to add that to it. But I want to just express to you that this is an identity term you can live up to. That's what we're called to be. Those who live up to what God has called us. And if he has called us by his love so much that he's predestined a relationship with him, walk out of here knowing that. That's how special you are to him. He didn't wait to see how you would turn out. Aren't you glad? He chose. And I'm not going to complain about that because his choice is better than mine. (laughs) He chose us. He predestined us. So yes, I want to believe the whole thing. Don't you? I leave that in your lap to chew on. Go back and look at the verses. Soak it in. See how beautiful it is. And never look at that word predestined again without the two words in love with it, please. Because that's part of the statement. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us. Because you know how we are prone to to protect ourselves and things, to to want it our way, to think it our way, to do it our way. We, we have so much of us in our theology. May we start to see Christ in our theology, God in our theology. May we start to see these things from your viewpoint, Lord, to wear glasses that are only designed by you to see the kind of love you really do have for us and how far it goes and how it has done so much in our lives. May we not be so hard-hearted to to step into this story again and think that you're being cruel to us because you predestined us. But may we see the love, the careful work, all the attention you've given to it, that we might be special among all those, that we might be labeled things that we don't deserve, that we could be called blessed ones, chosen ones, holy ones, blameless ones, and predestined ones according to your love. Thank you for what you have done for us. And I pray that it hits our hearts in such a way that we got to live like that. we got to walk out of this building today understanding how deep a love the Father has for us. Do your work in our hearts, wherever it's necessary today, Lord. Change us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.